Acts chapter 2 is a pivotal moment in the New Testament. It records the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And when we get to chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of the promise of the promise that Jesus made, uh, the fulfillment of the prophecy, the fulfillment of the promise. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me, one whose shoe I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with power, with fire, with the Holy Spirit. And so what we saw happen, Brother Bob's been speaking to us about finding our ministry. And what we see happen on the day of Pentecost, Jesus did what He promised He would do. He baptizes His church in the Holy Spirit. Just like John baptized in water, Jesus baptized His church in the Holy Spirit empowering His church to do what He had commanded them to do, the Great Commission. Uh, he gave the authority for that commission, and on the day of Pentecost, He gave the power for that commission. What we see then is the uh, sermon by Peter. The Holy Spirit filled the members of the church, empowered them. They began to speak in other languages. Languages they had never studied. Now, that, I would wish for that. Uh, you know, I sat through hours and hours of language school learning the Swahili language. been a lot easier if I could have just had the gift of tongues, the gift of language, and immediately been able to speak that language without having to pour so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. But that is exactly what happened they were able to speak languages that they had never studied before in order to preach the gospel to people who had never heard the gospel before. You had a variety of people there, 120 members of the church, and they were speaking a variety of languages so that in the crowd that was there on the day of Pentecost, everyone heard in their heart language, the language that they normally communicated in. And it was, it was an amazing thing. They jumped to the wrong conclusion, said these people are drunk or something. And then Peter stepped forward and said, no, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he preached a very short sermon. Now, don't expect that from me this morning, okay? Don't hold me to that. And I would point out to you, if you read the verses, it says that after they cried out, what shall we do? It says, and he continued with many other words okay he was a baptist preacher he had many other words but that is where we are in this process we are we are looking for and searching for our mission according to acts chapter 2 and it, okay finding our mission and beginning in acts chapter 2 verse 36 therefore let all the house of israel know now this is the end of Peter's sermon. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the, name of the Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So what we've seen on the day of Pentecost is the church that the Lord started with only 120 members were filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit by Jesus, empowered. And then there was some empowered preaching by Peter, and the church grew exponentially on that day because 3,000 souls were added to them. I want you to see that, but I don't want to miss the second half of that passage because it describes how the church acted, how they reacted to what happened on that day. We're talking about finding our mission, and I would submit to you that a part of our mission as Faith Baptist Church is that we would have church vitality, that we would have a church with life, with excitement, with things happening that are glorifying God. And Acts chapter 2 will show us what that looks like. What does a church of vitality look like? I want you to notice in the passage of Scripture that church vitality requires conversion. That is that the members of the church have been saved and they have been baptized. It requires conversion. Notice that he says, Let therefore all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, and get this, whom you crucified. Well, that's a confrontation. Listen, biblical preaching often requires a confrontation. People say, well, I don't like talking about, you know, I don't like negative preaching. I don't like talking about sin. When the Word of God is preached, you cannot help but confront sin. We see in the Word of God that we are sinners. We've come short of the glory of God. We are reminded of how we've fallen short of the glory of God. And biblical preaching is, of its own nature, a confrontation. We need that. The Bible says that the Word is profitable for reproof and for correction you ever needed reproof ever needed correction don't be surprised then when you come to church and you feel like somebody's stepping on your toes by what they're preaching because a natural part of the preaching of the word of god 
is a confrontation. I want you to notice that a part of that is also conviction. It says they were cut to the heart. I like that translation. The, the, in fact, the word that is used there, cut uh, to the heart, is, really means to be pierced. Like you take a spear and you pierce through. I mean, just stick the spear through the heart. Now, I will tell you, it's not the preacher's job to do the heart piercing. It is the preacher's job to do the confrontation with the Word of God. But when the Word of God is preached, the Spirit of God will bless the preached Word of God so that conviction takes place. Listen, when the Word is preached, we ought to respond with broken hearts. Our pride is wiped away. Our hatred is convicted. Our hearts are pierced because of our anger, because of hatred, because of bigotry, because of prejudice. And conviction of the Holy Spirit comes when the Word of God is preached. There must be confrontation. There must be conviction. And there needs to be some contemplation. They said, what shall we do? What are you going to do about the preached Word? For years in Kenya, as a missionary, I taught our Kenyan pastors about how to preach. And I made sure, Aaron, I always wanted them to know it's not enough to, for the people who hear you preach to know something. What is it you want them to do? And these people responded very appropriately. They were cut to the heart. They, they'd been confronted. You killed him. You killed the Lord of glory. They were cut to the heart and responded by saying, what do we do? What shall we do? By the way, Peter answered and said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice a little bit of difference. Let me see if I can back up. Notice that they said, What shall we do? You know, if I'm asked that, somebody's under conviction and they say, I want to get my heart right. I, I, want, to, I start, want to start living right. What do I do? Well, have you been saved? If you've been saved, you ought to follow the Lord in baptism. Some people have taken Acts 2.38 and have made baptism by that verse necessary for salvation. They did not say, what shall we do to be saved? Philippian jailer said that, didn't he, in Acts chapter 16, 31, 32. What shall I do to be saved? And he was given just the plan of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. They ask for advice. Seeing that we are Israelites, seeing that all of the Old Testament is now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, what do we do? Repent! Repent. We don't hear a lot of preaching about repentance today. Repent. And then be baptized. I might have added some other things. I, I might have said, you need to be faithful in church. You need to find a ministry in church. You need to start treating your wife right. My wife just said amen. So... 
Okay, you ought to start treating your husband right. I might give a lot of advice about how to start living a Christian life. And that was what happened. There was at that moment then conversion. You see, there was confrontation. There was conviction. Uh, there was contemplation. What do we do? And when they got the answer, there was conversion. They received the word. They were baptized. They were added to the church. Listen, preaching is an integral part of our worship and of our church. And it's not church, or a church cannot continue without the preaching of the Word of God. It is preaching that gives vitality to the church. Because when the, when the preaching of the Word takes place, the Spirit of God moves and brings life. It's important when our pastor stands here that we listen to the preaching of the Word of God, and we are drawn closer to God through the preaching of the Word of God. Church vitality requires preaching. Church vitality also requires commitment. That is, that church members are committed to continue in the church and in the ministry of the church. Notice verse 42. They continued steadfastly. Now, no, get those words. They continued steadfastly. I mean, their commitment was an unending, unyielding, unrelenting commitment to their church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I want you to notice I highlighted those words for a specific purpose. I want you to know um, the apostles' doctrine. What are they talking about? Well, Jesus taught the apostles, not just during His, his ministry, but for 40 days after the resurrection, He spent time with the apostles, teaching them. And then they began to teach what Jesus taught, so the apostles' doctrine was the teaching of Jesus. But that word doctrine is the word teaching. It's didactic teaching. It is the teaching of the Word of God. Now, I, I'm sorry, I've been around a lot of years, and I, I have some of those old stories, Clint, stuck in my head, you know. And, and I read something like this, and it, it, those stories come back. I remember about the lady who left the church one day, and shook the preacher's hand and said, Preacher, I just love to hear you preach. He said, Oh, thank you. She said, Because you don't preach no doctrine nor nothing. If you preach no doctrine, you're preaching nothing. Because doctrine is teaching. And the teaching of the Word of God is a fundamental part of of our church and the vitality of the church. If we teach everything else in the world, but we leave off the teaching of the Bible, the Word of God, as the inspired Word, then our church will not have vitality. We grow deeper. We grow closer to God through preaching, but we grow deeper through teaching. 
Then the other word that I highlighted for you was the word fellowship. Fellowship means gathering in community. That's what we're doing here right now. This is a part of the fellowship. You know, a, a church, the word church is actually from Latin. And, and the church in the New Testament was a Greek word, an ecclesia, which is actually an assembly. Now somebody else is using that word, so we, we still call our churches churches. But they're assemblies. And they are, it's also a fellowship of believers. And that fellowship, that communion is tremendously important. I need you to understand, the teaching of the Bible is important. But if there is only teaching and no fellowship, there will be no vitality. You've got to have both. You've got to have the teaching of the Word of God for the church to be alive and excited. But you also have to have communion. You have to have fellowship with each other. And that fellowship includes the breaking of bread. Now I know some people interpret the breaking of bread in that place to be the Lord's Supper. But it says down in verse 46, they were going from house to house doing that, breaking bread. It is a matter of fellowship. Paul talks later about their love feasts. They were having great fellowship. Um, I stepped into one of the classes this morning, and they're going to have a fellowship on the 20th out in the foyer after the service. Man, that's great. Because we thrive on fellowship. In fact, uh, I, I mentioned verse 46, that they were breaking bread from house to house. But in fact, we grow deeper through the teaching of the Word of God, but we grow warmer through fellowship. And the church of God is intended to be a warm climate where there is welcome, where we love one another, where we help one another. And we grow warmer through fellowship. A church without fellowship is a cold church. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a cold church. I want a warm, living, breathing, functioning, a church of vitality. Then the third word that I mention is prayer. I don't think there's any doubt in our mind that when we talk about prayer, we're talking to God. By the way, when you, when you talk to God, you know you're acknowledging that He is God. I mean, you're not praying to some chunk of wood or some picture or some dead saint. You're talking to God, the one and only. And I think we ought to open our prayers with, with that in mind, talking to the one true God, the only one who can help us. But notice that what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is what we, we use a theological term, we call it corporate prayer. Well, I don't know that I like that term because, you know, what corporation are we talking about? Are we talking about Disney? Are we talking about, uh, you know, Fox News? What corporation are we talking about? That, that idea, corporate prayer, comes from the word corpus, the body. We're talking about the body praying. We're talking about congregational. Can we use that instead of corporate prayer? Let's, let's say congregational prayer. Listen to me. There is power in congregational prayer. Now, 
I'm not saying there's not power in your personal prayer when, when you get alone with God and, and you call on His name, but there's just something special. And there is a special promise about when we agree on something and we pray together as a congregation. You know, there is a real close connection between fellowship and prayer. I was in that class this morning and I heard, you know, there were probably as many, as much time spent on sharing prayer requests and praying as there was in giving Andrew time to present his ministry. Glad you're here, by the way, brother. Is that, is that a waste of time? Oh, no. Sharing those prayers and praying one with each other, that is huge. Church grows warmer through fellowship, and the church grows stronger through prayer. Never. Never be negative and underestimate the power of congregational prayer. I tell you, we need some strong prayer right now. We need congregational prayer. We need to pray together as a congregation. Church vitality requires conversion. Church vitality requires commitment by those members who are converted but church vitality also requires church growth. You see, a church that's not growing is dying. You're either growing or dying. You don't just exist. And a church that is not growing is dying. We need a growing church. We need vitality where people are brought in from our community, where they come to Christ where they join our congregation and get involved in what God has called us to do. Notice what it says about that church that uh, in Acts chapter 2. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now notice some key words in, in that statement. First of all, fear. Fear fell upon the people. That fear is not the shaking and fear run away fear. That is reverential awe. That is, they feared God. Reverential awe of Almighty God. Do we fear God? Do we have an awe for God? You know, I remember... In that church I pastored in Florida near about a hundred years ago. My wife loves it when I say that, by the way. Near about a hundred years ago. I remember the time that my deacon came to me. And there had been some gossip in the church. And he had been listening to that. I didn't know it, but he told me. But he came in tears. And I got, I, I got to tell you, 
This was a John Wayne kind of guy. Just, just ask my wife. This was a John Wayne kind of guy. Can you imagine John Wayne coming in tears and saying, I need you to forgive me. And he told me what was going on. He had been entertaining that talk against me as pastor. And he said this. He said, I want you to know, I fear God. That was huge. He didn't say he was afraid of me. I was a 23-year-old kid at the time, pastoring a church. He didn't say, I, I'm afraid of you. He said, I fear God. I tell you, in a church where the Word of God is being preached and taught, where is, there is a movement of, of the Holy Spirit of God, the fear of God falls on people. A reverential fear of God. And the church grows more holy through fear of God. Because we fear God, we purify our lives. We don't do some of the things, we're afraid to do some of the things that would be against God. And we grow more holy through the fear of God. I want you to notice another word, and that is ministry. Ministry. The church grows more holy through the fear of God, but the church grows broader through ministry. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, notice that it says that signs and wonders were done. Understand in the New Testament, think of all the miracles of Jesus. Which of the miracles that Jesus performed that made him a great magician and drew crowds? so that he could say, look what I've done. He didn't do that. Everything he did was to help someone else. And he often told them, don't tell anyone what's happened to you. Now, they didn't do that. They told everyone. There was such excitement. But it was, it was ministry. And when you talk about signs and wonders being done by the apostles in that early church, you're talking about their ministry within the church and without the church. We have the power of God and the gifts of God. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And we ought to be using everything we've got for ministry for our church. Ministry on the inside of the church. Ministering to each other. Now, don't get the idea that all of our ministry is to be outside the church. Because again, again, and again, we have commands what we're supposed to do to and for one another. That's the ministry inside the church. So our ministry is not just outside the church. It is within the church ministering to each other. On the other hand, it's not just inside the church ministering to each other it's also outreach from the church ministering to the needs of the community around us and if it, if that were not the case the church would not get broader it gets broader because we're reaching people who are not necessarily just like us they may be of a different background a different race a different nationality and we are to welcome and reach them all with the love of Jesus Christ. 
and the church grows broader as we reach the, our community and our church begins to look like our community. Like the crowd at Walmart, just don't dress like them. Notice, I, where did you get that? That ministry thing. Well, notice that they sold what they had and they shared, by the way, generosity. A, a church with vitality is a giving church, a generous church. If we had the vitality that we needed, we would not be in a budget crunch. We wouldn't, if, if, if every family in this church would suddenly start giving their tithes, we would have to have an emergency meeting of the finance committee to figure out what to do with all the money. A church with vitality is a generous church. They sold and they shared according to the needs of the people. That is community and that is ministry to the community. Listen, the church grows broader through ministry and then the church grows larger through evangelism in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved did you notice that we started the verses this morning Acts 2 36 37 38 we started with evangelism and here we are finishing with evangelism listen to me church growth begins and ends with evangelism with our witness to our family and our friends our neighborhood our co-workers if a church is not majoring on evangelism it will never grow and a growing church is a glorifying church God expects us not just to be faithful. He expects us to be fruitful. That requires evangelism. Church growth cannot happen without evangelism. Our mission. Roger smiled. He recognizes the phrase. Should we decide to accept it? Is a church with vitality that means a living exciting moving church a church with vitality that's what we need we need to hear the movement the call of the Spirit of God on our hearts where are you in this have you been converted have you been saved Hear the Word of God. Hear the call of the Spirit of God. And come to Christ in repentance and faith. Have you been baptized? I, I meant to say earlier, you need to understand that in his day, in the, in the early church, it seems that Peter has connected salvation and baptism so that they are inseparable. In that day, it would be totally Weird, strange, for somebody to be saved and not follow the Lord in baptism. That doesn't mean baptism was a part of the salvation, but it went hand in hand with it. If you get saved, you ought to get baptized. Follow the Lord in baptism. 
If you are a Christian and you're not a part of this body, of this fellowship, and you live anywhere near this place, you ought to be a part of us. You're welcome here. We would love to have you as a member of our church. But understand this, that church vitality also requires a commitment. We're not just looking for names on a roll. We're looking for members who will commit to ministry, to come here and be a part of the fellowship, and to serve in the fellowship and out of the church building in the community. That's what it takes to have a church of vitality. I don't know about you, but I want a living, breathing, going, glorifying church. What part in that will you play? What is God calling on you to do?